Okay, let, let, let's jump head first into his word. And, um, so, so take out your Bibles. Just go ahead and grab your Bible. Don't take a seat yet. I'm going to have you seated in just a minute. I know you've been standing up for a long time. If you're a guest here, you're saying, Whoa, they stand up for a long time. I, I, I understand that, but, but just bear with me. I want you to look with me in Exodus chapter 5. We're going to read quite a bit of that narrative. Um, and then I'll probably digress a little if we follow what happened in the first service. and I'll pick up where we left off last week with Moses. Um, I want you to just pray for me as I convey this message that God has given uh, to me to, to give to you today. Because to be perfectly honest with you, I've struggled with this message. Not, not that, um, well, uh, I've just struggled with it. God, you know, why this message this week? And I, I didn't fully understand why this message this week until today happened. And now I see more clearly what God is trying to do. So I, I believe I have a word from God for you. Is, is that okay? You didn't come to hear my word anyway, so... Let me share with you. I want to start out. We'll just go ahead and read most of the narrative in Exodus chapter 5. If you're there, say, yeah. Verse 1 says, afterward, Moses and Aaron. Everybody say, afterward. You have to circle that in your Bible. That's a very important word. Afterward. Moses and Aaron went to the Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, who is this Lord that I should obey him? Let Israel go. I, I don't know the Lord. And I will not let Israel go. Let me tell you something. The enemy will always keep you or try to keep you from praising God. You hear me? Verse 3, then they said, the God of Hebrews, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now, let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the, the, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy and that is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God and make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to the lies verse 10 then the slave drivers and the foreman went out and said to the people this is what pharaoh says i will not give you any more straw go and get your own straw where wherever you can find it but your work will not be reduced at all so the people scattered all over egypt to gather stubble to use for straw and the slave drivers they kept pressing them saying complete the work required of, of you each day just as when you had straw the Israelite foreman appointed by the Pharaoh slave drivers they were beaten and were asked why didn't you make your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before then the Israelite foreman went and he appealed to Pharaoh why have you treated your servants this way your servants are given no straw yet we are told make bricks your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy? That's what you are. You're lazy. The enemy will also label you. 
That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work and you will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foreman realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left the Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look upon you, Moses, and judge you because you have made us a stench to the Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. You've put a sword in, in their hand to kill us. Just be seated. Just be seated. You've put a sword in their hand to kill us. Let me give you the title of this message today. I had an assortment of possibilities when it came to a title. But then I kept coming back to one that I think conveyed the message of the text more clearly. And the title is this, Keep Making Bricks. Keep Making Bricks, Moses. Keep Making Bricks. Keep Making Bricks. You see... God came to Moses and told Moses to go and tell the Pharaoh, I want you to let my people go. And the Pharaoh's going to let my people go. And so Moses is standing in front of the Pharaoh and he's doing that dance that we all learned, you know, in old church, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh, baby, let my people go, you know. And the Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to let your people go. I don't even know who your God is. I don't even know who you are. In fact, y'all are lazy. Why don't y'all get back to work? In fact, not just get back to work, but you're going to have to gather your own stubble, your own straw. You're going to have to have more work and and you're going to have to continue to create the same number of bricks. So get back to making bricks. Keep making bricks. And all of the people of Israel are standing around thinking that they're about to be freed. But then they hear, we're going to have to gather our own hay and our own straw as well in order to make bricks. I don't understand this. And Moses and the people of Israel become so discouraged. Moses is like, God, I I did what you asked me to to do. I I don't understand this. And, and, And Moses becomes so conflicted on the inside because he doesn't understand God's exit strategy. He can't follow God's plan of freedom. Keep making bricks. Keep making bricks. We'll talk more about that brick-making thing in a few minutes, but, but let me say it this way. Just because God has promised you a certain thing doesn't mean that you stop the current thing. Even if the current thing is contradictory to the certain thing that God promised. I know that was a mouthful. That was a lot of C's. But let me say it again so that it will resonate with your spirit today. Even though God has promised you a certain thing, that doesn't mean that you stop the current thing. Even if the current thing is in contradiction to the certain thing that God has promised. Keep making bricks. You see, maybe God has promised you restoration in your marriage, but today your marriage is worse than it's ever been. Keep making bricks. 
Maybe God has promised you restoration in your finances, but your restoration in your finances hasn't come. In fact, today, you're worse off than you were a year ago. Keep making bricks. You see, all throughout the Bible, from cover to cover, there's story after story after story where God gives a promise, and then there's a period of time that passes before the promise is experienced. It's that period of time that we struggle with. It's that period of time that that absolutely drives us crazy. It's that period of time that there is this conflict that erupts in our spirit. It's the conflict of hearing versus seeing. We've heard something from God, but yet what we're seeing contradicts what we've heard from God. We've heard that there's a promise, but yet what we're seeing certainly doesn't look like a promise. Keep making bricks, Moses. You see, you need to understand that the enemy's number one goal is to keep you from realizing your position in Christ. Because if he can keep you from realizing your position in Christ, he can keep you from realizing the promise of God. And sometimes he uses the bricks in your life to keep you from realizing the promise that God has for you. Good Lord, have mercy. I'm going somewhere, but again, I've gotten out of order as I did in the first service and preaching the end at the beginning. But the bottom line of what I'm trying to say is that you've got to build an image of faith inside of you through the Word of God. And that image of faith that you're building through the Word of God needs to be the reality that you see. In other words, even though you're making bricks, keep your eyes and your mind focused on God. Are you with me? Because the very fact that the enemy is trying to rob meaning from your life is only confirmation that the truth of who you are is just around the corner. In fact, let me show you something. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. I threw this on you in the first service, but I know you have it ready now. I I want you to see something. It says this. It says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds. Everybody say minds. On things above. Everybody say above. Not on earthly things. You see, what you need to understand is that the resurrection is not just a miracle. The resurrection is a state of mind. In other words, can you look at bricks and still see blessings? Can you look at calamity and still see with his clarity? Can you look at your obstacles and still see his opportunities? Can you look at your lack and still see his surplus? Can you look at your not enough and still see that he's more than enough? Can you look at the bricks and see that the bricks are bringing about blessings in your life? Because he's Yahweh. He is the deliverer. And even though you're making bricks, God holds your deliverance in his hand. Last week we talked about Moses, chapter 3. God came to him and he revealed to Moses that he was Yahweh. Moses said, who will I say to the Pharaoh that I'm representing? He said, I am that I am. I am who I am. Another way that establishes the name Yahweh, Yahweh that is used 6,800 times in the Old Testament. Yahweh. Yahweh. He said, I am that I am. I am. I am greater than your problem. I am. 
I am in your frustration. I am greater than your, than your difficulty. I am. I am. I am. I am your hope. I am your help. I am your savior. I am your salvation. I am your joy. I am your wisdom. I am your peace. I am your grace. I am your mercy. I am your forgiveness. I'm greater than anything that you see. In fact, everything that you see comes by my hand. In fact, from one side of the galaxy to the next is 91 billion light years from one side to the other side and when you look at the stars tonight when you look up and you find one of those stars the closest star to the surface of the earth is four light years away traveling at 186,000 miles per second it takes you four years to get there you see he is the great I am there's none before him there's none after him everything that we have is a result of the great I am You see, this passage of Scripture, the more that I've studied it, studied it for this particular series, I realize that it's not only who God is, but it's how we are to encounter God that He's teaching us. This past week, as I was putting stuff together for today's message, I I ran across a transcript from Steve Jobs, who was the founder, if you will, of Apple and the product called the God Phone or the iPhone. And in this transcript, he was asked from the moderator, what is your belief in a higher power? Now, I don't know where Steve Jobs fell in his faith. I don't know. I'm just going to tell you what the transcript said. He said, in my life, at times I've believed in God, and at other times I've not believed in God. But as I've drawn closer to my death through this sickness, this disease called cancer, I realized that there must be a God. That it can't end like this. In fact, he said that that's the reason why I don't like to put on off buttons on my devices because I don't believe there's an on and off to God. I believe he's always been and he always will be. That struck a chord with me. And I began to reflect upon Moses in chapter 3 when where God comes to Moses, he says, go to the Pharaoh. I want you to tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. Go to the Pharaoh. Tell, tell them to let my people go. And that's the promise. That's the promise that I will be with you and he will let my people go. But then, that was chapter 3, but then in chapter 4, Moses, he begins to have all of these excuses as to why that he shouldn't do what God called him to do. Can I show you some of those excuses? Can I? I'm going to preach. Thank you. Chapter 4, pick it up in verse 10. So he's having this conversation with God. And Moses said to the Lord, he said, Oh Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I, I am slow of speech and tongue. He had a speech impediment. He said, the Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him his sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? He said, now go and I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, oh, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. This is the fifth time 
in two chapters that Moses has questioned God's selection process. Let me show you the result. Verse 14 says, Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Why is it that we're reluctant to do what God has called us to do? I thought about this. Why is it that we're reluctant to do what God has called us to do? And I think there's two reasons. The first is because we don't see ourselves the way that God sees us. But I think the latter is more important, and that is that we don't see God for who He is. You see, what we tend to do is we tend to talk about what I am not as opposed to talking about who He is. We begin to categorize our lives into I am not, and we lose focus of the great I am. And when we begin to put more value on I am not rather than the great I am, we are reluctant to be obedient. In fact, we become unwilling to be obedient. And the reason why our lives end up in this field of mediocrity is because we're tethered to disobedience. You see, it's our unwillingness to pay the price of obedience that keeps us tethered to mediocrity. So the Bible says that God's anger burned with Moses. You got to grab this. God's anger burned with Moses. You see, Moses was struggling with this hearing versus seeing conflict. He was hearing God's word that I'm giving you this promise, but he was seeing all of the problems in his life. I've got a speech problem. I've got a past problem. I murdered a guy. I've got some other problems. I'm not really good at anything. That's why I've been managing my father-in-law's sheep. I I just have a lot of problems. And, And then he began to think about the Pharaoh and how powerful the Pharaoh was and how all of the people of Egypt saw the Pharaoh as if he were a God. He was a child of, of God. And so he was like, I, I can't do this, God. So why don't you choose someone else? You see, God doesn't become angry at us because of our fears. God becomes angry at us because of our disobedience. Hello? Hello? You see, we want to ask God, God, bless my marriage, but yet you're not obedient to his ways in your marriage. Bless my finances, but yet you're not obedient to his ways in your finances. What I'm trying to say to you is don't expect the freedom of the great I am if you're not willing to submit to the great I am. Isn't it all quiet up in God's house? You see, life functions through the laws of reciprocity. Gary, there is a sowing of a seed and then there's the harvest of that seed. You cannot reap the harvest without first making the investment of the seed. You can keep the seed in your hand, but it will never give birth to anything until you invest it in the soil. That's the way God's word works. If you want the beauty of his word, you've got to have the investment of his word in your life. You see, some of you are praying, God, heal my marriage, fix my marriage, but yet you're not investing in your marriage. God, fix my finances, but yet you're not investing in your finances. God, fix my kids, but yet you're not investing in your kids. It's like the old banker would say, you can't have on credit what you're not willing to pay for. see I need to give you this and you need to understand it. and this works in every single area of your life 
If you begin to expect a return without an investment, you will be broke. In every area of your life, if you expect to be loved without giving love, you're going to end up broke. Do you hear me? What God was saying to Moses when he was like, I don't want to do this. Let somebody else do this. But, but yet I want my people to be free. God was saying to Moses, Moses, stop looking for solutions in certain areas if you're not willing to submit in those areas. Good Lord, that's good. In fact, let me show you something. Exodus chapter 4, verses 19 and following. You have to see this. This is, this is what he says. It says, now the Lord has said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt. For all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and he put them on a donkey and he started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. We, we discussed that staff last week. Now go down to verse 29. You got to see this. Moses and Aaron brought together all of the elders of Israel. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. And he also performed signs before the people. And they believed. Everybody say believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and that he had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Oh, hold on a second. That is where chapter 5 picks up. You see, God has told Moses to go to the Pharaoh and in the process of going to the Pharaoh, he's reluctantly gone. And now he believes that what he's going to say, what it's going to come out of his mouth, the Pharaoh's going to listen and the Pharaoh's going to let the people go. And that's how chapter 5 opens up. Afterward. You remember I told you the word afterward was significant. Afterward. Now Moses is doing exactly what God told him to do. And he gets a different response than he thought he would get. The Pharaoh says, I don't know who your God is. Who is your God? I don't know him. I don't know you. Who are you? You people are lazy. You're not going to have what you think you're going to have. In fact, what I want you to do is just keep making bricks. Not only are you going to make bricks, but now you're going to gather the straw in order to make those bricks. And Moses became so discouraged because he had heard a promise, but now he sees a problem that this is what is written. Look in verse 22 of chapter 5. I left these two out on purpose. It says this, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to the Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people and you have not rescued your people at all. In fact, some translations say this, and I paraphrase. It says that Moses says, God, I did what you told me to do, and you said you were going to rescue your people, and you call this rescue? And the more that I read these two verses, the more that I sensed the pain of the people of Israel and, and the pain of the people of Epicenter and the pain of the people of Fable. And, and I began to look at this text and, and, and I looked at it from a different perspective and I noticed something that I'd really never seen before. If you look prior to verse 22, preceding verse 22 is a headline. Look in your Bibles right now. There's a headline. The headline says this. It says, God promises deliverance. That's the headline. But then I begin to think, hold on a second. The headline doesn't match the storyline. 
God promises deliverance, shouldn't it say keep making bricks? But God promises deliverance. Headlines. Everybody say headlines. How many of you know sometimes the headline of your life doesn't match up to the storyline in your life? In fact, I did a little research and I found some headlines that didn't match the storyline. I, I, I want you to see this. Look at these pictures. Let me show you. Here's a headline. County to pay $250,000 to advertise lack of funds. Makes sense. Next, how to buy a $450,000 home for only $750,000. Sign me up. What's the other headline? Keep, keep going. It says, volunteers search for old Civil War planes. Maybe you'll get that when you go home. Planes didn't exist then, y'all, okay? Oh, you got it, okay, yeah. Okay, next, next, next. It says, breathing oxygen linked to staying alive. <laughs> it was like the first service, I said, you know, that'll make you go, duh. Or if you're a southerner, durr. Uh, go on, go on, go on, go on. Rain, the biggest factor in flooding. <laughs> You think? What's next? What's after this? It says the rangers get a whiff of. <laughs> you got to love that one. Go to the next one. Say it like a southerner. Damn nearly finished, but much left to do. <laughs> oh. Some of y'all need to let your face know your heart's having fun here. You go to the next one. You got to see this. Federal agents raid gun shop. Find weapons. <laughs> oh. Is there another one after that? Uh, that's the last one. Uh, listen, sometimes, here's the point. Sometimes the headline doesn't match the storyline in our lives. What do you do when the storyline in your life is contradictory to the headline of God's proclamation? Because you see, the enemy will use the storyline in your life to knock you off of the headline that God has proclaimed over your life. You see, the headline over, over my life may be that I am loved. But, but the storyline reads broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship and, and, and emotional and verbal abuse and, and physical abuse. The headlines of your life may read, more, he's more than enough, but the storyline of your life reads, there's never enough. The headlines of your life may say, he's a person of victory, but the storyline says, loss after loss after loss. The headline says, I am called, but the storyline says, every name in the book. You'll get that when you get home too. I am called every name in the book. Okay. Tough crowd. Tough crowd. You see, you, you've got to understand that the enemy will use the headline in your life 
to keep you, or the storyline in your life to keep you from realizing the headline that God has for you. You see, the enemy wants to say, okay, that headline that you'll be a good dad has been pronounced over you, but let me remind you about your dad. Your dad walked out on you, so how do you think you're going to be a good dad? You see, the storyline of your life says that you'll never make it to the headline. You see, the headline of your life says that you're going to be victorious, but let me remind you about the storyline that you have made so many mistakes, you failed so many times, you've done this wrong, your past, you're, you're an addict, you're broken, you're hopeless. But let me tell you something. The enemy is a liar. And you may not be able to control the storyline in your life. But God's in control of the headlines of your life. Moses the Pharaoh, you may not be able to control what he says or does. But you know that I'm in control of the headline. And so when your life doesn't match what God has proclaimed over you, what are you going to do? Here's what you need to do. Are you going to give in to what you've heard or what you've seen? Or are you going to live by what you've heard? You see, listen, so many times in our lives we allow what we see to keep us from what we've heard. And the headline of your life is that you are more, you are better, you are greater. Why? Because the great I am is with you and for you. So so the question that we really need to get to at the core of who we are is when things don't make sense... Are you going to trust in God? When things don't make sense, will you still trust in God? You see, the headline is the big picture of your life. The storyline are the details. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in the details of life that we forget the headline. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in making, making bricks that we forget that God promised deliverance. Hold on a second. You see, you can't control the storyline of your life. But what you need to understand is that God is always in control of the headlines in your life. The headline is the big picture. The storyline is the details. I'm a big picture guy. I love to dream. I love to think about tomorrow and next year and five years from now and if you're a detail person I aggravate you if you're a detail person I'm frustrating to to work with but but let me tell you something God's really not into the details the way you think he is you see I, I don't want you to believe that I'm not preaching God's word here let me explain what I'm trying to say obviously you can look at the stars in the sky and see that God's into details all you have to do is open up your eyes to the creation of the universe and you can see that God is into the details every little single detail and sometimes we think that God is so into the details that we think that we should have that same specificity from God in our lives But can I tell you something? God's not obligated to give you his contingency plan. God's not obligated to walk you through the the plan of your life step by step by step. All he asks you to do is to trust in him. All he says is that he's going to do it. He doesn't tell us how he's going to do it. And so if you get all frustrated and and you're waiting on God to do something because he promised something, you're going to be overwhelmed by the brick-making process. Hear me, because somebody needs to hear this. Sometimes God's plan, God's communication with us is is painfully vague. 
Sometimes God's communication with us seems to be leaving some major components out. In fact, I think about Abraham. Abraham was told by God in Genesis, he said, I want you to go to the land that I've created for you. Two chapters later, God quits talking to Abraham. He doesn't give Abraham directions. He doesn't give him instructions. He doesn't give him a GPS. He doesn't give him a map. He doesn't give him detailed plans. All he gave Abraham was a word. He said, go. And Abraham's life, if you study his life, it's a life where the storyline doesn't necessarily match the headlines. So what God is trying to say to Moses is, Moses, I know what your problem is. I know what the people of Israel are having a problem with. I know that. Just tell them to stop complaining and keep making bricks because I know what you need. I know what the answer is. I am the great I am. I know I'm for you. Keep making bricks in your marriage. Keep making bricks in your finances. Keep making bricks in your kids' lives. Keep making bricks in your career because I am the Yahweh. I am the deliverer. Psalms chapter 18 verse 2 says that he's our rock. He's our fortress. He is our deliverer. And I may be getting boxed in right now by all of these bricks, but I'm about to bust out because God is going to use them to elevate me. You see, I'm going to walk on the word the same way Abraham walked on the word. I'm going to walk on the word the same way Peter walked on the word because I know that I may be making bricks now, but my destiny, my God is promised me deliverance and God always fulfills his promises you see there's power in brokenness you need to understand that there is power in brokenness that seems like that's an oxymoron like power and brokenness can't go together But yes, they can. You see, let me show you something. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 21, just just put it up for me. Exodus 5, 21. It says this. It says, and they said, may the Lord look on you, Moses, and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh. And his officials have put a sword in their hand to kill us. We don't always understand why we have to keep making bricks when God has promised us something else. We don't understand why we have to go through trials and seasons of difficulties. We we don't fully understand the why behind the problem. But the more that I began to research this brick-making process, I... saw that they would use straw that was gathered from all over the land, stubble, to cause the bricks to have more integrity so that the consistency of the bricks were what they were supposed to be. In the process of gathering hay and straw and rubble, Their straw being much like ours in the fact that you're working with your hands and, and you get splinters in your hands and maybe a thorn because the vine has been wrapped around the straw and the thorn goes into your finger. It goes underneath your fingernail. And how many of you know that hurts? And the more I thought about that thorn, I thought about another thorn. And... 
2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul was given this vision of heaven that no other man had ever had. He had seen the promise of the glory land. He had seen it. And right on the hills of receiving that vision, he writes this in verse 7. He says, For because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Hold on a second. I've just seen the promise. I've just seen the glory. But then he writes, but because of it, I, I was given this thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. You see, God didn't want Paul to become self-reliant, conceited. How many of you know when a thorn gets under your skin, you'll drop every other thought in order to get rid of that thorn, to alleviate that pain, to alleviate that problem. Everything else that you were thinking about is gone. God, why don't we know what the thorn was? He says, I was given a thorn. We don't know what the thorn was. Theologians are all over the place. Was it his stature? He was not much to look at, Paul. Was it his bad back? Was it his weak eyes? We don't know. But if God had wanted us to know, he would have told us. But the beauty in this thorn is that God didn't want you to know what Paul's thorn was. He wanted you to identify with Paul's thorn so that when the thorn gets stuck under your fingernail, you know who to call on. You see, he wanted it to be relatable. He wanted you to understand that it's through the thorn that you experience his power. Let me show you something. you got to see this. Look what he writes in verse 8. Verse 8, he says, Three times I've pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times I've said, God, why don't you take this thorn away from me? Three times, God, I don't want to be making these bricks anymore. I don't understand this problem. Three times, three times. But look at the beauty of verse 9. But, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. I don't know if you're grabbing this. you got to see this. Hold on. He says, therefore, I will boast or I will praise. I will praise all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Not about my victories, but about my weaknesses. Why? Because in my weaknesses, that's the opportunity for Christ's power to rest upon me. Now, now, now hold on. You're not grabbing this. You see, I think so many times in our lives, we flip that. It becomes just the reverse for us. We want to complain about our weaknesses, but yet we still expect God to fill us. You see, God's not going to fill you if you're not sowing the seed of investment of the Word of God. Listen, let me tell you something. So many times that reads, I'm going to complain about my weaknesses, therefore God will not dwell in me. But Paul said, I'm going to praise God in my weaknesses because that's an opportunity for God to show up. I Bring on the thorn. Bring on the bricks. Bring it on. Moses, you need to understand that the bricks are an opportunity for God to show up and show out. You need to understand that there's no problem on this earth that is greater than your God and you need the problem of the bricks before you can experience the power of the king are you with me church come on somebody give him praise (laughs) 
You see, in other words, in other words, in other words, in other words, keep making bricks, keep making bricks, keep making bricks. You see, you see, you can't experience the beauty of God's peace and power and His grace without first going into praise. You see, it's okay to pray for God to deliver you, but the moment that your prayer of deliverance turns into praise, that's when God's power shows up. Are you with me, church? Are you with me? You see, Paul didn't understand the power of God until he saw his suffering as a gift. Keep making bricks. Keep making bricks. Keep making bricks. I don't think you're seeing this, so i got to read one more verse to you. It's chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to the Pharaoh because of my mighty hand he will let them go because of my mighty hand he will drive them out of this country he says now you will see what I will do to the Pharaoh now Moses you will see now Moses you see there cannot be a now in your life unless you've had a thorn or a brick in your life you see if you want the now in your life you've got to keep making bricks because I'm with you I'm for you I'm not against you there's no weapon that's ever formed against you that shall prosper why because I'm the great I am. So bring on the bricks. I'm for you. Bring on the bricks. I'm not against you. I'm, I'm going to cause you to rise above. So I am the great I am. I am your deliverer. I am the Yahweh. So keep making bricks, Moses. Keep making bricks because I'm for you. I'm not against you. Keep making bricks because I'm going to use the bricks to elevate you above the problem in your life. So keep making bricks, Moses. Come on. Keep making bricks. Get up on your feet and give me praise. In this place, and keep making bricks in your marriage, keep making bricks in your career, keep making bricks with your kids because God will construct them in such a way that the storyline of your life begins to match the headlines of His proclamation. Because my God promises deliverance. Come on, somebody, and give Him praise.